The Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige, and welcome to the Deviation Podcast. I'm so excited to be here with Dan John, who I'm I'm lucky to call a good friend. Um, and Dan, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, we're in my basement. Uh, <laughs> it's a Sunday morning, a college a college football night last night here in here in the valley. The Utes lost. I uh, I uh, I teach at St. Mary's University in Twickenham, London. I'm a senior lecturer. I also teach at Columbia College. I teach uh, religious studies there and strength conditioning in St. Mary's and I write books. I'm a master kettlebell instructor and been coaching. This is my 40th year coaching and that's that's a good start. And upstairs (laughs) is uh, my wife and my daughter and my future son-in-law and I've got uh, two daughters, two grandkids and a a dog named uh, Sirius Black who is over grandma's tonight. So today, so that's my life right now. <laughs> so there's there's definitely a lot to fill in in the blanks of all of that. So if we could um, kind of start at the beginning, um, which I know is was a while back. Sixty one years ago, yeah. <laughs> so it's got to fill in some blanks there, I guess. Yeah, well, I was born in 1957. Um, I'm sort of towards the end of the uh, the baby boom. So, all the changes that had happened with that group, I was right behind it my whole life. So it was always kind of weird to watch how things were already starting to drop off a little bit by the time I came around. Uh, my brothers and sister, uh, they basically went to all new schools, you know, their whole life. All new schools, all new universities, uh, everything was brand new and then uh, the wheels were starting to come off a little bit by the time I got there, just a few years later, eight to twelve years later. Um, I'm the youngest of six. I think that's had a real impact on my, my athletic career because, you know, I've always been trying to keep up with, you know, my brothers who are, you know, four to four to 12 years older than I am and uh, expected to keep up, you know. And it was, so it was good for me to always be chasing. I read a book years ago called Sports Gene where Epstein basically says it's, it's a real help to be the, young, the youngest because you do, you get... You're constantly chasing. You're, you never think you're good enough because you're, you're giving away. You know, when, you, when I was eight years old, I was competing with 16, 17-year-olds in, in the street. Are we recording okay? Yeah, we are good. I okay. just want to bring this a little bit closer. Sure. Um, I didn't like sports as a kid. Um, I, I, I struggled with a whole bunch of things. I mean, we all do. But I, was no, I, I didn't like sports because no matter what I did, it had been done before by someone in the house. And, uh, you know, it was a very competitive family, so, you know, no matter what it was, you know, I can remember one of my brothers, I just, I would say, hey, this thing happened, so what? And he was just, his first sentence always was just, doesn't mean anything, who cares? With, no, but that's that's brothers, don't, don't Yeah, brothers. No, that makes sense. It really, and I talk about it a lot, but really the, the, the biggest turning point in my, in my, when I first started was, I was on this, this little softball league it was 1967 it was no big deal it was big to me and I was terrible and the night before the championship game this guy uh, helped me out with hitting and uh, I don't know he just just decided to help me and uh, 
the next day I, I hit the winning the winning hit and I had a really good game and uh, it was just funny how uh, one little event can change everything it's it's the trophy it's in my weight room right now it's the little trophy that says SV67 and that's uh, 1967 uh, and that little event maybe like sports I mean I had some success I was very happy with it um, I started getting a little more serious within the next three or four years I started reading which was always my answer to everything and of course that would be the famous those three books uh, a, a book called uh, Bodybuilding and Self-Defense a book called Seven Days of Sunday and of course The Sword and the Stone which there's stuff all around here on The Sword and the Stone but those three books became my uh, my pillars of my, uh, my the way I thought about things. I learned, you know, I, that's when I first started weightlifting. I started lifting weights actually probably years before, but I started taking them more seriously. Yeah, this is my 53rd year lifting weights. I have lifted weights almost my entire life. Uh, rarely not. Rarely have I not lifted in my life. I mean, there's been some times with, you know, injuries or, you know, or getting ill or something like that, but... I've been, I've been lifting weights since about six, 1965. Well, when I when I read the Seven Days of Sunday, this guy Kenny Avery on Wednesday, uh, he was on one, Seven Days of Wednesday. Uh, he uh, he was a, a a linebacker, and that's what I wanted to be. And he in the spring ran the 800 meters, uh, threw the shot, threw the discus, and ran the hurdles. So in the spring, that's what I decided to do. And it's funny because it was the discus was the one that I could edge off my we call hack off my opponents but when they would stand and throw I would do the full turn when they learned to turn I bought expensive throwing shoes when they had expensive throwing shoes I was doing this this and this and so what I learned is that even though at the time um, I should have been held I, I should have probably been held back one year my birthday's late enough to pull that off but I was always behind my uh, my classmates uh, a lot of them hit puberty earlier. Um, they were all, all, all old and older than me. So, but I always learned that if I just stood back, looked, and just picked up like an outlier, like figured out a an edge, um, I could stay. I could beat them, and that's actually been my whole career in a nutshell. I'm constantly, uh, we call it looking for the next wave. I'm always looking for the next wave. I'm always trying to find an edge, and. I keep most things I do, but I'm always trying to find something new, different, unique, and within the rules of the game. I, I'm, I'm here in Utah. We have a lot of people using anabolics, and I'm always like, you know, the problem with using like anabolics or any kind of drug. And I, I, I got, I mean, yeah, it's immoral too. But I'm just, I'm not making a moral argument. I'm just saying that once you use that hammer, that sledgehammer. It's real hard to find anything else that's going to work as well. Of course. So, you know, if you add 50 pounds to your lifts on the anabolics, well, good for you. But, well, now what are you going to do? Well, you know, what what next? Whereas I might only add, I might play with bands or chains or this or that and only add 30, 35. But I also have these ideas of how to get to, to higher and higher. So that would be the real, that would be the real turning point for me was in 1970, those three books. And figuring that out for myself, I had a, a very good discus career. Um, Wait, how how old were you at that point? Thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Yeah, thirteen, and I already basically figured out where I am today. Man. N not necessarily. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't. No, but you had like the initial stepping stones. Yeah, I had, yeah. I had the vision of the way I still do things. 
always trying to find the edge, always trying, you know, I still, I mean, I don't know anybody else my age who does this, but I go to at least one, two or three day workshop a year where I'm a, where I'm a participant, not a teacher. And, uh, you know, you can ask like, the people at fit ranks, you know, I'm in this little small group and this woman finally turns to me and goes, <laughs> I, I don't overemphasize, but it's true. She goes, you know, you're one of my fitness heroes. And I got to tell you, it's frankly weird. <laughs> you know, I, you know, and she just had this like, you know, I'm just, I'm just a sweaty mess. We just did burpees and jump rope or some idiotic thing. Very valuable. Uh, but uh, I mean, I'm sweat. I'm terrible at both of them. And she goes, it's like, I just, you know, you wouldn't expect it. And, but that's part of who I am. How am I going to find anything new if I just get stuck doing the same stuff all the time? Um, I had a good high school career, you know, uh, football, uh, wrestling, track, and then went on to junior college. I really wasn't good enough right out of high school to go to Division One. Though later on in a bus ride one day, Coach Mon told me, he goes, yeah, I'd give you a full scholarship. I weighed 162 and threw 170. I mean, that's very unusual. And he goes, yeah, why don't you let me know? I'm like, well, it worked out great. Uh, did real well in junior college. Uh, went off to Utah State, which is where I always wanted to go. Uh, very proud of my time there. Got a bachelor's, got a master's. Uh, got into teaching. It's funny, I Friday night I went to a, a, a Judge Memorial reunion and saw my students. Uh, some of them, you know, it's weird to be around your former students right now in their mid-50s. You know, I taught them in high school. You know, it's strange. And they're always uncomfortable with me. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, it's weird how students will either be very comfortable with the fact that we've moved on or they suddenly become 14 or 15 year old again. It's just funny to watch it happen. It's, I guess it's, I think about how you treat, talk to your parents and treat your parents. It's so many, it's such a nuanced relationship. Uh, and I started teaching. So, uh, from 81 or so till now, I've, I've been a teacher of, you know, at every, I mean, I've helped at elementary schools, junior highs, high schools, colleges, universities. Uh, I think I've, I've taught online. I've, I've taught on the computer screen. I mean, I've done, I've done it all in the teaching world, and here we are. You know, it just seems weird to think about it, but you know, I've been coaching forty years and writing books and all this stuff, and it all really sprung forth from those three books. That's the, uh, not that there was anything magical about the books, but I I use those as a foundational thing, um, and I I still have my my closet up there. In fact, I have tons of copies of Sword and Stone throughout the house. But I figured it out. I figured out what worked for me when I was probably 13. And really what works for me is I work harder. Uh, but I work smart. You know, I, I, know what, I know what I'm looking for in almost everything. Almost. Now, it, somewhere along the line, you became a Fulbright Scholar. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, sure. Uh, in fact, I would have to really thank Bob Staub with that. Um, he, uh, I was, I was working at, uh, was working at Judge Memorial, and one of my students, her mom, was a secretary at the Middle East Center up at the U, and um, so I arranged this really interesting. It was a six-week-long thing where different professors from the university would come to my school and lecture to my students on all kinds of things. And the thing is, I almost needed a whole week after to unpack what this person was talking about. Because the students would have no idea. I mean, they would talk about 
Sunni versus Shia uh, in Islam. And I'd have to explain to them the, the differences. Or we'd have a whole hour-long talk on this thing called the Maronite Rite, which is a Christian church in Lebanon. And the students would be like, okay, we didn't follow it well. Okay, so <laughs> here's Lebanon. Here's, you know, it was, I'd have to go back and break it down. And um, So Bob was very impressed, and um, this little this little thing came up, and I had to go through all these interviews and stuff, and um, and it worked out. I never published my uh, my work from there. Uh, it, there was some turnover at uh, in that system that they had, and uh, all of a sudden, what I wrote became very political. I uh, it was really strange. I didn't think it was. It was called Bridges of History. I don't even know. I don't even know where it is anymore, because this pre this would have been pre computer. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I typed some of it on a Mac, but I, it might not even been a Mac. It might have been like an Apple II or something like that. So I mean, we're talking stone, stone age. <laughs> I mean, one pa- you had to have a floppy disk w- would hold two pages, you know. Wait, so really? Uh huh. Oh yeah, it was. Oh, you're man. constantly, yeah. It was, it was a different world. So I know I don't have the computer stuff, and I don't know where the print stuff. I'm. Sh- I'm sure somewhere at the Middle East Center's uh, ar- archives up there, there's a couple copies of this thing called Bridges of History. Uh, but even then, I, I even then I look back on that. And it was very good. It was it was pretty long. But the idea was a, a trying to teach history that trying to teach history, including Middle Eastern history, in a logical way, versus the way it's usually taught, where it's just a you know. A, I always joke that you, we, the way we usually teach the Middle East is you start you, you teach kids about pyramids and the next day you teach them about Cleopatra, but that's thousands of years apart. <laughs> It'd be like teaching, okay, students, today we're going to learn about the the Doomsday Book, you know, 1066, the William the Conqueror, and then the next day is World War II. It's like that's sort of how we teach the Middle East these massive thousand year gaps, and so I tried to knit it in and. But since I talked about the Crusades and I talked about the violence and the history, that got very unpopular. They felt that I was uh, emphasizing the violence. And I kept thinking, well, that's, that's part of why that we need to talk about it because it was the connecting thing. You know, it was more than just spices and sugar, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So that, that's good enough. That's, I hope I didn't bore anybody with that. No, 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 no. Not, not at all. Um... Now, I've I've heard you say I've either heard you say I've heard I've heard Parker talk about it that you you spent about seventeen dollars on your education. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, my entire education is free. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I was on scholarships. Uh, then, well, I was a good I was a good athlete, and so that picked up the tab for uh, my undergraduate. But I was also a good student, so, you know, I'd be in class and I'd have my professors say things like, uh, you know, um, uh, would you put your name in for this? We have a, we have a scholarship that's not being used in this department, and I would be like, well, I'm on a full ride, I don't need it. Oh, okay. Well, like for example, my one of my master's professors, Ross Peterson, took me aside when I was getting my bat when I was getting my bachelor's, and he said, if you ever want to get a master's degree, I'll find money for you, and. Uh, I said, well, I don't know. And I, well, by, so by the time I was getting my master's, actually, I had about know, probably three scholarships. You know, you know how it goes, stipends and scholarships. Right. 
and I worked for the Utah History Fair, and they paid me for this, and they paid me for that. And it was always nice, and so, yeah, I've always been on scholarship. Uh, I've always had, uh, it's, 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 even even my my last degree, I got a, a master's in religious education. Even then, it was it was it was great for me. Um, the schools, you know, the schools want people who. It's, it's I mean, what's it's the secret of life, you know? Show up and don't quit. You know, I'm very good about showing up. There's a funny. Okay, I'll tell you a quick. Here's a scholarship story, though. So when I was getting ready to go to the Middle East, uh, they sent me up to Portland State to study intensive Turkish, and uh, uh, I took a course on this really interesting course on Yemen uh, and a couple other these highly specialized academic courses over the summer so yeah, I took the train up I don't know what I was thinking but I took the train up and uh, the train was delayed by hours and I was tired and I'm <clears throat> standing there in line at registration and this exasperated guy hangs up the phone and goes oh man and he looks up to me and he goes do you want 1500 bucks like okay and, <laughs> and he says you know Gladys sign the check over to him What's your name? Uh, Dan John. Dan John. Oh, yeah, you're one of the students. So I got a $1,500 check. Now, this is back in 83 or 84. I got 1500 bucks because I, the other master's students weren't there. They decided they didn't want to go. And so I, now here's the thing. In the 84, 1500 bucks was a lot of money. Because, okay, but I was on a, I'd already had everything paid for. So that became just like, you know, money. It was nice. And I spent it very wisely because I, well, you know, because it was a six or eight week program. I think it was, it must, have, it must have been eight. So I was up in Portland State living on dorms, you know, and I, uh, um, but it was funny. I got 1500 bucks and all I did, and I keep showing, I was, when I talked to the young, you know, like I just did a couple of graduation talks and I always put my arms crossed like this and this is how I made, you know, 1500 bucks. I just crossed my arms and kind of look around the room and that's, <laughs> that's because I showed up. Yeah, so, yeah, my education has been very free. But I also have always turned in things on oh, early, not just on time, but early. Um, I, I, I check every box. I, I do what's, I don't make things difficult. I'm administrators. I don't, you know, I show up, you know. Uh, I always go to class. It, it seems not one thing I've said there is weird, but not many people do it. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, and I mean, it all may have been free and you didn't, I mean, you didn't have to pay that yourself, but I mean, aside from those $1,500 that came from you just showing up, I mean, you worked hard mm. to get those scholarships. There's a lot that went oh, into Oh, I certainly earned it. Into that. Yeah. And I, and I even tell, like, the young people, I mean, when I have these graduation talks, I do. Uh, interesting, uh, there was a week in May where my daughter Kelly gave a graduation talk and I gave a graduation talk on the same day, two different places. But that was kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah, but you know, the, I always tell them, I go, you know, you have the whole tool. You know, even if you're an eighth grader or, or high school senior, you have the whole tool toolbook for success. You know, you just have to, you know, you know, you got to roll out of bed and go. You got to, you know, I think a lot of my success as an athlete is, you know, I fly to these things. I get the hotel room. I, at nine o'clock, you know, I, I'm there. You know, I, I, mean, I have the paperwork. I sign the forms, I have a discus or a hammer or whatever the thing is, and I'm there. And uh, sometimes I win, and sometimes I don't. But if you, if you don't go, you can't win. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a life lesson, man. Uh, well, now, there's something, I was reading in one of your books the other day, that you said something along the lines of, 
keeping things simple. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, it might mean it's going to be harder, but keep it simple and it'll work. Yeah, people, uh, if, in fact, I say, uh, I'll get these reviews in my work. He makes things simple and it really bothers me, actually, um, because um, I don't think people understand how hard, hard you have to work to make it simple. So I have to, like when you look at my training stuff and what we do, I mean, it, maybe it is sexy to other people, but it's really not. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's absolutely repeatable. Uh, anybody can do any of the stuff I do. But the, the, and I just learned this from the, I learned this in 82 from, from a guy who just died a few months ago, uh, Rick Bojack. He goes, he pointed me in the, pointed my chest like this and he said, you, you can't get bored. And that was the, that's the secret to good coaching. You just have to, if this is what we do, this is what we do. If it's, you know, if I'm coaching the shot put, you're going to throw the shot a lot. And we're just going to keep doing that. And when people, I mean, back when I was a very successful throws coach, in the mid-90s, we, we had it going on here. Um, we had coaches, and we had Division One track coaches come to Salt Lake to watch how I was coaching. That's pretty cool. You know, the coach from Florida famously. Um, that's and as a thank you, he gave us all this great stuff. It was just really kind of fun. But about halfway through our first day, he was just going, he goes, you know, um, it's so simple what you're doing. And I go, well, I know. And he goes, and he goes, what was most amazing is how we just kept sticking to what we said we're going to do. We had, you know, we, when I coach the throws, I find out, you know, we, we have five stations, and you rotate through these five stations um, one is throwing into a wall, one is this, one is that. And we just stick to it, and we rotate through it. And at the end of, you know, we go around, we do everything twice, and we're done. The workout could take 30 minutes, it took, could take an hour. But he goes, you're doing everything we do in a tenth the time we do it. I go, I know. Because this is a very, the judge is a very academic school. My students didn't have, they couldn't have five-hour workouts. You know, my my. You know, so many, so many of my former throwers are doctors, lawyers, professors, lots of professors, uh, and uh, you know, they, their life was going to be, you know, being an English professor, or a ceramics professor, or a law school professor. <laughs> they weren't going to be professional discus throwers. You know, I knew that, and they knew it, and, but the skill set they learned helped them throughout the rest of their life. Yeah. When, like, I was planning to ask this a little later on, but I'm really sure. curious to know, you've you've either worked with some of the most incredible people, and if you haven't worked with them, then you've interacted with them, you've uh -huh. met them. What's, I mean, what's some of the, what was one of the most impactful experiences that you had? Well. Which I know is a tough question. Yeah. There's, you know, I try to talk about it in my books sometimes, it's just, and the one thing that keeps going over and over, and I learned this from Earl Nightingale in Lead the Field. He says that, you know, whenever you go up higher and higher in any organization, the people become nicer and nicer. That's why it's very unusual. I mean, it's, we're, we're in a strange time in America now where, you know, you get kind of rewarded for being rude and cruel. That's not going to last long because generally, as you move up higher and higher, the, the people become easier and easier, better and better to work with. And it's been universally true. And, you know, if you get a chance to, to interact with the best and brightest, 
almost always they're like, yeah, here, do this. You know, Robbie Robinson, I talk about it in one of my books. He goes, you know, you see a kid like you working and it makes me happy and do these, and he said, you know, do these five things, you know, boom, 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 boom. And he was absolutely right about all of it, you know. Um, the, the thing is, you know, uh, let's go back to another story. My, my dad, my dad, when he hung out with Will Chamberlain, my dad's a very short man, very short. And I was at a track, and it's a story, but the, the important thing is that my dad and Will Chamberlain are standing way out in the sector together talking the whole time. And I asked him later on, I go, what you guys talk about basketball? He goes, he goes, no, don't ever talk to a guy who plays professional basketball about basketball because they're just going to think you're fan. We didn't say the word fanboy, but, you know, that would have been the phrase. He goes, you know, we talked about track and field the whole time. We talked about your technique. We talked about how, even though you're short, how aggressive you are in the ring. Oh, okay. Good lesson. When you talk to the best or brightest, you know, don't talk to them about other things besides money here. The game when you scored a hundred points is, you know, treat everybody with kindness and dignity, and especially the the, the famous and uh, good things will happen. I guess I mean I can't even think who are truly leaders in any industry. Truly leaders, I don't know of too many of them who are, who are total idiots. Now, having said that, if you fake your way to the top, then you tend to be a, du- uh, a douchebag. Um, I'm thinking of a couple right now. Um, the phrase I always use is the emperor's new clothes. The Hans Christian Andersen story. Oh, tell me you do. Oh, my gosh, how embarrassing. All right, very important, folks. A little story here. Basically, I'll go through real quick. So the emperor, you know, he's as he gets more and more wealthy, more and more full of himself, he becomes completely convinced that, you know, you know everything about him is perfect. So this guy comes in and he, and he says, your emperor, I'm going to make you the most beautiful outfit the world has ever seen. And he puts his hands like this. He goes, this cloth can only be seen by people with exquisite taste. And so the king goes, uh, the emperor goes, oh, I see it. It's beautiful. And of course, he, of course, the guy's a total faker. And of course, so the whole, the, the big buildup in the story is how this guy is faking. Everyone in the court can see it. There's nothing in his hand. So finally the king, the emperor is going to show off his new outfit. And so he's walking down the street naked. Of course, everybody pretends they can see this elaborate. And a little boy looks up and he says, the emperor has no clothes. And all of a sudden, everybody gets rid of their own illusions and realizes the guy's walking naked and the guy was, was just a faker. Uh, there was no cloth. There was no clothes. So I call it the emperor's new clothes. Um, sometimes in art, especially in the fitness industry, you can really blow yourself up, you know, and you can... Um, get yourself into, you know, your little follow, your minions following you and, but one day it'll come out and all of a sudden you're standing there naked you know, uh, you have no clothes and I've noticed that a few times, I don't want to get too specific and think about I actually think about probably three people I got good advice from Charles Staley uh, years ago, probably 2003, and I go how do, you, how do you stay successful in this business and he says, you know, don't believe your own bullshit, you know, and I thought that's wise advice for anybody. You know, you ask me for my life story here, and sometimes I look at it, it's like, mm. it's, yeah, it's, I have all these degrees, and I have a lot of, you know, a lot of, I've done a lot of really good things, won some cool stuff, and, you know, I'm very proud of some of the work I've done. But at the same time, you got really careful to remind yourself that you just, you know, I'm just a kid from South San Francisco, blue-collar kid, you know, 
if I if I was on the left versus right one time, all this this whole thing was a house of cards. It all comes down. You have to remind yourself of that sometimes. Uh, uh, you'll start to notice it. Uh, this, this, the, the, a good example is you can look at right now. There's a great thirty for thirty podcast on uh, Bikram Chowdhury and about how what a horrible person he was. And but it was funny because he said all these things that weren't true. Like, I guess he told people he medaled in the 64 Olympics in weightlifting. Well, that's pretty easy. I mean, the second I heard that, I knew it wasn't true. Because I know the 64 Olympics. I know what happened. Uh, I know his weight class. Lou Rieke was one of the guys lifting. I mean, I know the story. You know, Norb Shemansky. I mean, I know the people lifting there. And I knew it wasn't true. But he was allowed to say things like that. And, and he, so he didn't invent those 26 movements. He stole it from somebody else, according to this thing. That, it, and it, so Chowdhury is an easy one to pick on because it's so famous now. But there's some others, you know, they say, and all of a sudden, one day, all this stuff is going on, and all of a sudden, one day, you say, oh my God, they have no clothes. And uh, yeah, I want to be real careful about that, my own self. I want to make sure I'm not walking around naked all the time, you know. The Emperor has no clothes. It's a good, read, read the story, or I'm sure it's in a cartoon somewhere. It's 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 worthy. It's a Hans Christian Andersen story. It's very good. I'll definitely, I'll definitely it's, it's very short. Yeah. I was talking with somebody, um, somebody about a, a similar topic yesterday in regards to I I really only try to interview people who are as humble as you are, just because I know. Ah. No, no, no. Just hear me out on this because I know that I'll be getting a true story. Yeah. Otherwise, if I talk to somebody who's just full of hot air and full of just really full of themselves I honestly I can't trust if everything coming out of their mouth is true or not good point yeah it yeah it's funny when people say that I'm full of myself I get that all the time especially my friends will say that to me and I'll, and I'll say sometimes but well next time I get a chance look at my Vita my resume look at my resume I should be cockier <laughs> I, I, I joke I joke I joke we joke so you had, you got your master's degree, and I feel like we skipped some stuff in there in regards to like your success as a discus thrower. Can we backtrack a little bit and talk about that? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I love throwing the discus. I loved it. What do you love about it? Uh, well, when there is going to be those throws, and they don't happen often enough, when you let go, you watch it, and all of a sudden it's just in the air, and it, 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 there's a moment with a great throw where it catches the air, and for a moment, it just floats and hovers. It's going farther and farther and farther, but it's flying. And it's what happened. So I powered out to about 160 feet, and from there, the dynamic of the discus takes over, and it's just like free distance. It's, you know, that next 30 or 40 feet, 50 in one case, is just is amazing to watch. I also always love the... Uh, the idea with the discus throw that if I if I improved here, I would get, you know, how do you explain? It's so simple and it's so fast. Um, at the Olympic Training Center, uh, we found out that when I pick up my right foot, I deliver in 1.6 seconds, which is fast. 1.6 seconds is fast. And but if I fix in that 1.6 seconds one little thing, the discus goes farther. Well. After I fix that, I get better at this, and then it goes farther. And it just keeps, you just keep ramping up, and it just, you just, 
all these little things, you just keep connecting the dots and all these things, and it goes farther and farther and farther. And it's kind of cool, you know. I'm sure a musician would be able to say the same thing. You know, they got better at this, and my God, that got better, got better at this. And, you know, it's, it's anytime, you, anytime you have a, a thing you like to do, it's, it gets easier and easier and easier. And more and more beautiful, too. But yeah, I was a, I was a good discus thrower. So I was, my numbers were international level, but the problem was I was an American at the time. And so I just, there's no chance for me to really do much in the world scene because we're just so good. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, probably my best years, uh, obviously 79, my senior year at Utah State. 1991 was a really good year for me. 91, 92, I was, you know, I was throwing really good distances again. And then probably my best year years were 2004 and five, when I was in my late 40s. And I was still throwing, <laughs> I was throwing really far. Uh, I was beating people at track meets who I was the age of their father. Yeah, it was it was weird. Yeah, and it was kind of fun because I'd go to a track meet. And, I mean, all of a sudden there'd be this. Was at a meet one time. My high school coach was there, and he said it was just goes because Danny, I'm so proud. He goes all. The, I mean, there's this huge group. I mean, everybody over a certain age was just would cheer for me because he kind of had to, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, instead of some punk, you know, nineteen twenty year old, you know, you got this forty seven year old guy who uh, works real jobs and, you know, has a family and has concerns. And, you know, it was fun. It was fun. So that was my best year. Uh, I also was a pretty good Highland gamer. Um, I, I had a good career there. Olympic lifting, um, it just, after my first couple of years, 91, okay, it's funny how that come back. 91 was my best year in Olympic lifting. But for whatever reason, maybe it's my, my way I'm built, I was always hurt. When I Olympic lifted, it was always, it was just just beat me down. All my all my injuries are Olympic lifting related. Yeah. I, Would you explain what Olympic lifting? Oh is sure. Just That's the, uh, the, the there's two events. There's two lifts: the snatch and the clean and jerk, and then they they tally them up. Um, um, I snatched three fourteen, which is a lot, three hundred fourteen pounds, which is a fair fair amount. I cleaned four hundred two, but I missed the jerk. So my best clean and jerk is three eighty five, I think. Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, so next time you're in the weight room, deadlifting 400, I tried to put it over my head. Actually, I did. I, I could clean it, and I could jerk it, but I couldn't clean and jerk it, if that makes Understood. sense. Yeah. yeah. That was just too heavy. <laughs> it's kind of kind of a lot of weight. Yeah. I, I remember when I was good, and it's just trying to explain to people what it's like to get hit by that load, you know. You know, I just, you know, I'd be, I would open with 363, 165 kilos, and... Just even then, I remember I was getting hit by that. Just my opener back. Oh, oh! And you stand up and say, "Wow, that's that's a lot of load." <laughs> what made you want to keep going with it? Well, I I like sports like track and field or weightlifting where you fix this, you get better. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no there's no coach sitting there benching you. Uh, there's no you know. You know, if you're if you're a really good soccer player, you might not touch the ball in a game. You know, and how do you, you know, your team, you know, say like I score three goals in a game and we lose four to three. Well, that, that's hard for me. You know, that's not, that's, I mean, that's the way the game goes, but mm -hmm. with weightlifting and track and field, if you improve, even if you take 15th place, mm -hmm. you're still getting better. Oh, yeah. My first, it's funny to think about how things have changed. When I lifted, when I first lifted, Olympic lifting was huge in California. 
and they were really good teams. And I took, I would take 16th place. I would take 18th place in meet in the 90 kilo class, 198s, and then later the 100. And uh, and I look back on those numbers, and I was a good lifter, but there were a ton of other good lifters. So now I go to weightlifting meets, and these guys will, you know, they're very popular now. Uh, these CrossFit people, they, they come, they love it, but the numbers that I was taking 16th and 17th place in meets would beat all those guys. Really? Yeah. That's how good we were. And, you know, I finally got it okay. I mean, I, I won, I, I think I, I think I finally won my first weightlifting meet when I was a, maybe a sophomore in college, I think. And, uh, but the guys I would lose to, Ken Clark and the, the Mario just died a few weeks ago. Um, these guys were both multiple Olympians, you know. So I would be, you know, I would, <laughs> on one Saturday I'd take, I would take 12th place in a track meet to, you know, Olympians from countries all over the world in our own country. You know, the next Saturday I'd go to weightlifting meet and take 4th place to three American Olympians, you know. So it was, it was good. I mean, it was, it was hard to think that I have to look back now and reassess my feelings about it with what I know about how good they were, you know. And, and in fact, it was nice because I was you're always getting challenged to do a little better, you know. I mean, uh, you know, I snatched 264 in a meet, and I'm very happy about it. And Mario, same age I am, snatches 308 and was like, okay, so this I got to do this. I got to get up, and then a couple months later, I snatched 286. He still snatched 308. Hey, I'm getting closer. Well, I never caught up. <laughs> but it's that's what I like about those sports. And that's also why their track and field is dying. It's because, you know, you know, I always tell people it's like it's it's too honest of a sport. You know, if you throw the shot thirty feet, well, you're a nice person, but that's not very good. But when you get up to thirty five after a couple of weeks, I'll be there with you. And then maybe thirty eight, thirty nine. Now you're forty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 45, well, we're 50, ah, now we're getting, see my point, a lot of people don't like the idea that that, that story might have just taken three years. Right. But people don't like that, you know, I can't, you can't buy a shirt that says elite in track and field unless you are, mm -hmm. and all you got to do is just say your numbers, and, and I'll go, oh, okay, yeah, you were good. I was at a party a while ago, and uh, the wife says, yeah, I was, a, I was a high jumper, and I go, how high did you go? And she goes, I, I jumped this high and I went, wow, that's really good. And the husband goes, how do you know that? Because well, it's track and field. It's a number. And we know the numbers. Mm -hmm. And if you t if she would have said I high jumped uh, four feet, five inches to become the state champion, I'd go, oh, that's great. But you high jumped five, eight, which is really a good number. You know, uh, and uh, yeah, you were good. Yeah, well, so that's kind of, it's kind of a, it's, what, it's what's great about track and Olympic lifting and what's why they're, also unpopular because there's that line in the sand. Enough on that. Okay. Now, earlier you mentioned something about the Olympic trials, and I remember reading something about that as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, I mean, I was. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought in '92 I had a chance as an Olympic lifter, but uh, I just, I just, I just got so beat up. And Tiff and I went to a really big contest, and uh, I bombed out in the jerk. And uh, um, I have a a funny shoulder from discus throwing and they kept turning down my lifts for press outs but even when the, they're not press outs it's a, just a spongy right shoulder and uh, that was it and then uh, in track I was just flat out never good enough to get in that top 12 you know I just wasn't you know 
I thought I thought in 2004 I would make the trials, but I just couldn't overcome them. I, I, I just needed I just needed a little more. Like I, <laughs> I would go down to UC San Diego for track meets. I probably went down to six total because everyone kept telling me it was the best place in the world to throw. The wind was always howling. Well, every time I went to the meet, the wind was never howling. It was always dead air. And I just, I always felt that kind of like rattlesnake, you know. I, I was always the, it was always the week after, the, the week before, you know, was when everyone was the greatest throwing day of all time. I'd show up and I was like, just, I don't know what it was. Uh, but it's okay. I mean, just, you know, the wind helps the discus. That's why you do that. But, uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a good career. I, I enjoyed, uh, you know, I went, you know, I went. You know, I've dieted down and lost tons of weight for weightlifting meets, and I've done stupid stuff. And I had, a, I had a good, solid career. No regrets. What made you keep going? Like, was it your love of the sport, or what? Oh, I love to compete. Yeah, I, li- I like to compete. Uh, you know, when people think I like to beat, I like to beat other people. That's not true. I like, I like to just see what I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of my friends think I'm a bit of a drama queen. Because uh, I'm kind of famous for winning on my last throw. It's kind of like a thing. <laughs> it's funny because my daughter upstairs, she won the state championship on her last throw. Personal record on her last throw, you know, to, to, to crush her opponents, uh, you know, to, you know. In the discus, she went from eighth to second on her last throw as a discus throw. But in the shot, she won on a massive personal record on her last throw. And we joke, and I, and I, I finally, I like, no wonder my friends and family hate me. Because that's what I always do is always win on my last throw. I love, I love that moment where you kind of get in the ring or the, the trig, depending on the sport. Here you go. Okay. If you do this, you know, if you, you know, if you throw far, you win. If you don't, you lose. All right. Here we go. Smiling. Here we go. It's, I love, I love that, uh, you know, I'm not much of a, I like practice, but I'm not a practice superstar. Because I think the key is being able to make it happen, you know, on you know, June 22nd, 9 a.m. in Spokane, Washington. Boom, that's what I'm supposed to throw for. I love that. I love that line in the sand. Um, uh, I love, you know, I love showing up the event and, uh, you know, you, you build, you build a, you know, you build a performance, you know. You got to show up on time, you have the other things. Uh, I never judge it. It's, it's a good life lesson. I don't judge it until it's over, and that's a great life lesson. So I might throw, if I get six throws, I might have five bad ones. But if I have one great one, it was a great day. Now, if that great one goes out of bounds, it was a terrible day. So it's, I like that. I like that, the lie in the sand, you know. Mm-hmm. You, um, you know, I've got this, I won this Nationals in the weight pentathlon a couple of years ago. But I didn't, it wasn't, it didn't mean anything to me, because, I mean, I had, I had, I would have won the event um, with a very, very poor performance in the five events. I still would have won that particular day. And uh, it, there was all these little issues that happened, uh, all these things. But, I mean, I look at that day, and it's like, even though you won, it didn't mean anything. And that's a hard thing to understand. But um, I like I like it when there's a, a story. I had to overcome things. Uh you know, I had to be at my best and uh, to to win. I had to be at my best. I've lost a few times, and I'm very happy with those performances. I think I'm one. Of the, I I think someone told me that I was the only person ever to score a four thousand point performance and not win. 
um, at this at this one uh, weight pentathlon. That guy just. I mean, I just had a bad day. It's the cheese sandwich incident. and the di- I had a bad day in the discus, which is funny because that was my best event. But if I even had a medium day in the discus, I would have won. But I look back on that day because I learned so much more losing with a great performance than I ever would have with a... You see, I hope you follow mm-hmm. me point. Completely. Sometimes I lose, but I have a very good performance. That means more than winning with a subpar performance. Um... And that makes a lot of sense because yeah. the more you learn, the better you get in the yeah, long, long term. Run. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all those lessons, you know, every lesson that ever happened in sports has applied to me in every other aspect of my life. You know, that's one of the reasons I love uh, track and field so much um, is because the life lessons you get in track are the life lessons that. So, if I show up and practice on my own and try to get a little bit ahead of you here and here and here, well, that's also true in academics. Show up, do the extra work. Uh, if a professor recommended it, this book will help you understand this, I would read that book, even though that book didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned that from track and field. You know, some life lessons I got from my athletic career helped me very much with my academic career and my professional non-athletic career. You know. Going into that, actually, into your non-athletic career, um, I mean, you've been really successful athletics athletic wise and then you've also been very successful on the scholarly mm-hmm. level as well was it ever how do I ask this um, was it ever difficult to determine the direction you were going in oh yeah <clears throat> I think the smartest thing I did though in hindsight is I was always convinced that the whole show was about to end so on at the junior college I got a AA mm-hmm. well I, I got it uh, to be a paralegal because I figured, in, in even if I don't go on to four year, at least I'll have a degree, mm-hmm. an associate's, and, a, and I got so I got a terminal degree as an associate plus the college prep stuff. So that was pretty smart. And then when I went to Utah State, I sat down and figured out what degree can I get that will be solid and finished. And so I always had this idea that all my academic degrees, I would. I had to be interested in it, mm-hmm. but then I always found something that I could get a certificate or degree or a terminal. And so I was always working, uh, there was always a finish line for me academic-wise. Mm-hmm. And I never worried about, <clears throat> I, and when I got the degree, then I'd go, okay, what's next? And then I would kind of look around, what, what are the best opportunities, what are you interested in now? And uh, so my master's, I mean, my master's, I focused on Beowulf and Anglo-Saxon England. But then I wrote my, uh, my my thesis is on the history of Utah 4-H clubs because I got paid money to do the history of Utah 4-H clubs. And so even though all my work was in here, mm-hmm. so it was like, it was kind of funny because my professors always thought it was interesting too. But I, I felt great about it because I mean, I would be studying these really bizarre things. In fact, uh, I have a, my first published article is on Beowulf. I was, in fact, I've got, I can show you later on and I can share that the article. Um, that was my first published article, and and yet my my history degree, my second published article, uh, is on the history of Utah 4-H clubs, and it was with the Utah Historical Quarterly. So it's just weird. I, I got my first two published things are Beowulf and Utah 4-H clubs. You know, and it, you, okay, I thought you were a strength coach. Well, I am, and then my, but I didn't publish as a strength coach or a throws coach. Publish. Oh, 96, 97. 
Yeah, so it was really? well later. Yeah, most of my most of my work was academic. Uh, it was weird because once I started writing strength articles, getting paid, it was like, wait, we get money for this? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was totally out of my field. Like, wait, I get money for writing? Oh, I'll do that then. Jeez, and that's actually what happened. Uh, I was getting these checks. I mean, the school, my daughters are going to Catholic schools here in Utah, very expensive. Uh, we were struggling, and you know, I get these checks, and we're like, "Holy cow!" I mean, that's a lot of money for, you know, your five exercises to do for your biceps or whatever, you know. I, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, my um, and if you read my wandering weights, um, every <clears throat> every week I do this little para paragraph by paragraph study of the sword and the stone. Um, I'm I'm putting them all I'm cobbling them all together now. I think I'm already up to 180 pages on these little, you know, there'll be a word, in, like for example, a great word, here's a great word to memorize, uh, yark, yark. What it is, that's the, when a hawk or a raptor is hungry, it's the vision that they have. So. Laser-like focus. Yeah, yark, yark. Yark is laser-like focus of a hungry raptor. So it's stuff like that. <clears throat> well, I didn't know what that meant. But I love it. I'm using that word the rest of my life now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so by the time I'm done with this, it'll be free. I'm not going to make any money off it. Uh, it's, I, I love doing it. And I imagine that the sword and the stones probably, oh, a couple hundred pages, and my review of it will be a couple thousand. You know, I like that kind of thing. There's no, there's no money in it. I just find it fascinating. Did you ever, did you ever feel, like, pulled in two many directions? I just ask because I know for, for me personally, I've always felt like, you know, I have all the, growing up and even even now, like I have all of these different ideas of different directions I could go in and things that interest me. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to, I need to like, just choose like one. And I wish I could choose one. And I haven't actually found that ability. Yeah, no one's ever told me I had to. So I just, so I'd much, <clears throat> I, I would really struggle personally if I just stayed in doing one thing all the time. I'd get... Once I get bored, but I, I have a squirrel, you know, squirrel, you know, squirrel. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, no, I I enjoy it. But here's the thing, I think my sword in the stone work really helped helps me as a strength coach, and being a strength coach really helped me in this field. I think I was a, I was an administrator for a long time, uh, 11, 12 years, and I always thought the reason I was a good administrator is because I had coached for so long, because being an administrator is just coaching coaching adults. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I had, I mean, I used checklists and I used, I had all these checklists for every event I had to put on. For everything I did, I had checklists. Um, I used to have a month-to-month -month checklist, which is funny, because my goal was to finish the monthly checklist. There was, you know, there was forms I had to do, there was reports I had to do, there was stuff I had to do. And my goal, late in my career as an administrator, is on the first day of the month to have the entire checklist finished. So have the month the month of May, the stuff, the reports, the grind, done on May 1st. And one time I called Tiffany, on, it was like May 1st, at maybe 9.15 in the morning. I said, you know what's weird? I just finished my whole monthly to-do list. Because I always felt as an administrator, I had to get done the stuff. There is, make people, you know, there was reports that had to be sent to different places. and uh, There was paperwork that had to be done stuff that had to be checked and the quicker I could do that that allowed me to do what I thought my real job was 
and we called it management by wandering around. I would, oh, I, as an administrator, I always thought that I had to be very present in the people who worked for me's lives. So I would go to the, to the, for example, you're not filling out this form, okay, which I need for my job, you know, so I can send them the numbers. Well, I would go to your, where you worked, and I'd say, are you not, Paige, you're not, you're not training this form, in what form? Well, it's the, uh, the you know, the, the Henderson report. I don't even know what you're talking about. And then I'd find out that you're not being a bad person. You you never got the form. It's on somebody else's desk. They threw or someone else threw it away, or someone else saw it and just said, "This isn't important." So my management style, want, uh, managing by wandering around, I always was ahead of everything because I always knew the real problem, you know. And so we'd fix that. And then I would get in my car and go to the next place and talk to them. And things are why are things going so well here? And I, and then you would say, well, this is what I do. Oh, and then I would tell everybody else, this is what uh, Paige does. Man, oh, that's a good idea. And then that's how I always saw things. So I learned all that from coaching. That's a, that's coaching one on one. You know, if I'm coaching a football team and um, if I'm the head coach and I would. I would always go watch my assistant's coach because that's what the athletes are learning. So you have to see it and hear it and taste it and touch it. You know? And so for me, what I learned as a coach, carry over to administration, carry over to my writing, carry over to my, the way we do my life, my, the house, you know. Um, we, it's not so much now because I have so much more free time now, but when we were very busy in the 90s and the thousands or aughts, whatever they are, um, we I had a, a chore list. These uh, certain days of the week, I do certain chores. You know, dark laundry one day, white laundry another day, clean the bathrooms another day. All, all that. It sounds silly, but I picked that up from coaching. I picked because if you have a day, <clears throat> you designate a day, it gets done, and your mind's not worrying about all the other days. So if we're coaching, if I'm coaching football, um, Wednesday's punt return day. So um, we'll just say. So on Monday, you as an assistant coach says, uh, we need to work on a punt return. My, I, that's Wednesday. That's Wednesday. So it allows you to like almost... Focus on what you're supposed to... You said you're going to do. Oh, that's so smart. <clears throat> right. And if, <clears throat> pardon me. If uh, white laundry is Tuesday... And you walk by the la- the white laundry bin on Saturday, and it's full. Your brain says it's full, so what? Okay, because Tuesday is one. Now you can come off as a psychopath, as I do, because I you know I stuck to that so tightly. But <clears throat> my thought is always, you know, uh, most of them, most of us have to deal with our monkey brain most of the time. And for me, I control my monkey brain by just organizing it. You know, uh, that's, I don't have to worry about, that's not something I need to worry about today. And if it is something I worry about today, then let's get it done. You know, if it's, you know, like getting back to when I was an administrator, which might attempt on day one of every month to get the whole month done. And then spend the rest of my time getting everybody better. That's so smart. Yeah. So that's how you juggled so much. That's how you juggle. Mm -hmm. You, you. You attend to things when it's time to attend to them. How did all of that, um, I know you briefly touched in on it, 
how did all that translate into into parenting? Because I mean, you've raised two yeah. incredible. Well, I guess I mean they're women now, yeah. and well, you know they were they were. I'll tell you a couple things we did. I look back now; it didn't sound like very much at the time, but we got this from a, a thing they did at St. Francis. It was called the Turn Off the TV Week or something like that. And then we had other friends who said that their kids were so much better during the weeks where there was no TV. And so we all, a little group of parents, we all kind of agreed that there'd be no TV on school nights. So Sunday through Thursday, no TV. No TV. And uh, it sounds weird, but there's a couple things I did. One is that I cooked dinner for my daughters every single night we were in school. We had a little menu, because still travel so, so much. Had a little menu. I made breakfast probably for them. I probably made breakfast for them every day of their lives, too. And so we ate dinner as a family every night of their youth. And then there was no TV. So after dinner dishes were done, they read Harry Potter. They played games. They played outside. We had a volleyball net up, and they used to play volleyball for hours. Uh, we did... I mean, even when the girls were little, they would work out. They would have their own little workouts they would do. Uh, and around 8 o'clock, especially in this, you know, winter, it gets so dark, they would hop in the hot tub. Next thing they were in bed. My daughters were probably asleep by 8.30 most of their, most of their youth. But we never made a big deal of it. It's just, without TV, without <clears throat> one more show, Right. you just, you, you know, you open a book, you read it, and you're asleep. Um, Lindsay got this. They had to invent new names for her book reading. You know, at the school you get points for reading a book or something like that. Well, she broke all the records. I mean, she read. Every, she read. God, she was reading probably two or three or four books a week. Wow. Because there's no TV. I'm not saying TV is bad or good. I'm just saying, you know, you got to pick your battles as a parent. The battles we picked to win were dinners a family and no TV. So just pick, I mean, just pick a battle you want to win at. Um, we felt with the girls' rooms that uh, we had to kind of close the door policy. We don't care what happened behind their room, in their room. But it was funny because after a while, you know, especially Kelly. Kelly was very good at Kelly became very proud of how clean her room should look. And then you'd go in her room, I remember. Uh, she was the, was she homecoming queen or prom queen? Yeah, she was prom queen. And uh, when... We were, you know, she'd moved out. She'd become an adult. Uh, in our old house, you'd go down to her bedroom, and, you know, she had a little prom queen, queen snatch, and she had her letter jacket on the other side of her posts of her bed, you know. And, you know, she'd been out of the house for two years, and yet I didn't want to mess with the room because it looked so good, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think as parents, you have to really, I hate to say pick your battles, but you just have to figure out, for me, the big ones, the, the, the big rocks, you know, the cliché. But a parenting for me was eating dinner as a family every night. That 20 minutes of no, no phones, no, it wasn't a big deal back then, but, you know, um, just sit and eat. And, you know, Lindsay would complain about dinner every night. And I didn't care because this is what dinner was. And then, but the nice thing is they interacted with an adult every night for 20 How was your day? I don't know if I could tell you. I'm, you know, terrible, good, you know, whatever. 
then all of a sudden they tell little stories about things that happened, the two of them would gossip about schoolyard stuff. And it was great. And we'd talk and I'd tell about this or that. And the other one um, was the TV thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that it was always, I mean, it was pretty easy. Whatever you decide, to, whatever you, you decide as a parent or in a marriage, whatever you decide are the big things. If you kind of just hold on to them, I think these are important. Good things will happen. Like if you decide going to church on Sunday is the most important thing in the world. Okay, great. But that's only one day of the week. Right. So you just have to find easy day-to-day stuff that, uh, I tell you, the chore list was another one. Oh, that was huge. Um, because, you know, Tuesday nights after after the dishes, they would have to get their sheets and we'd wash and dry the sheets and make the beds. You know, that was that was a Tuesday night thing. But it wasn't a Saturday thing. So as I was cleaning up the dishes, they were grabbing their, their you know, the towels and the linens and whatever. Um, it just all started to unfold. I'm not saying we're a perfect family, but by having those as being such important things in our life, it made things pretty easy. Then the other thing that we've mentioned a couple times is the, is the reading. Uh, I gotta tell you, this is this is a thing that I've done. Lindsay would say to me, "Have you ever read this book? What is it? Westing Game? No. Here, I want you to read it. I read it. I done that with the, I, uh, my my god my godchild uh, Chloe. Um, I'd never read the Percy Jackson books. She goes, "You ever read Percy Jackson? Well, next day I'm at the bookstore. The next day reading Percy Jackson books. And I've read them all. Uh, the next day, you know." Um, so one thing I, I've, I've strived to do with my daughters is they had to read a book. I would read it so we could talk about it. And anytime a child says, have you ever read this, read it and get back to them and talk to them like an adult about it. And like the Westing game with all those little codes in the book, I got lost, okay? And then she explained to me, oh, okay, all right, okay, that makes more sense, you know? Oh, those little books, I can't even, die, die, Diaro Classics, the Diamonds, and oh, I don't know. It was a series of seven books about bad people chasing Delta. Delta. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. But I read all seven of them, you know, and one of them was terrible about being chased <laughs> by large snails or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so you read these books and you enjoy them. And, and it's a way to connect with your kids. It's a way to connect, yeah, it's real simple too. What, um, do, you feel, what do you feel like you learned most from parenting? Like what did it teach you? Oh me, uh, yeah, to have patience. Yeah, yeah. You 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 just gotta. You first you learn not to sleep. That's the first one. You first, yeah, because you, you're not gonna sleep with babies. <laughs> and then you learn. You know. Um, I remember one day, God, I was just sitting there with Kelly, and it was like, I thought, how much she gonna learn all the months and all the days of the week? I mean, I just this massive hit, this anxious moment hit me. Where, how is she going to learn? How am I going to teach her the numbers, the letters, the words, the, the geography, where Alaska is versus Greenland versus Tuesday versus October versus all that stuff. And it's funny because she picked it up okay. She, 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 she handled it just, I think she knows all the days of the week. You know? <laughs> but it was just this weird little moment where, uh, and it was a good, it was good because, you know, I... You know, when you sit back and you say, okay, you're going to, if you say to me, Dan, I need you to coach football, I mean, my mind goes, okay, I got it. But if I was to sit down the number of things that I have to coach a team up on, 
it's more than block tackle and falling the ball. I mean, there's you know, the kickoff after a safety is different than a normal kickoff. Taking a safety. I mean, just the word safety. There's like five or six or seven things I have to teach the team to do. Uh, field goal, PAT. I mean, there's so many elements. Mm -hmm. But if I try, if I would be overwhelmed if I just walked into a field. Okay, we got it. So you organize it. Things happen. And give me enough time and we'll take care of all of it. So that was the thing I think I learned, uh, had emphasized to me uh, as, a, as a parent, was patience. Uh, that you have time. You have time to teach all this stuff. And even if, you know, like, you know, oh, this is, we're sneaking up in October already. I can't believe that. But, you know, you know, Halloween and, and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas and New Year's. And the, the shovel, the snow, and then, oh, okay. When I'm shoveling, where's my snow shovel? Where's, you know, all of a sudden, you know, if you start, if you go too fast about all these problems coming up, you, you, you won't be able to handle it. But if you just kind of go, if you just do one step at a time and all that, all those cliches, everything's okay. And that's the number one thing I learned from parenting, is you have time. It's a lots of time. Yeah. Honestly, that's really good advice for parenting, and I just feel like life, life in life general, because yeah. it's easy to just speed up and skip, just miss everything else that's happening around you because you're so anxious about what's happening next. If you were to uh, come in with a number uh, with boxes, you know, here you're incoming freshman, you're a four-year school, and you had some kid keep all the work they did for the four years. How many boxes of work would it be? It'd be a lot of boxes. And you, all you would do to a young freshman is freak him out. Right. But if you show up every day and you do the work in four years, it's not so bad. Right. Yeah. And I think it's true about everything. You know, when you talk to somebody about, um, you know, I just saw my doctor, Ross, a couple of days ago. We were just talking about how, you know, how much stuff a doctor needs to learn. And he goes, you know, I don't remember ever being, you know, yeah, it's a lot of stuff to do, but you have plenty of time. You know, you, to learn the bones, you know, or whatever the systems, you, they give you time. You have plenty of time to learn it. You know, yeah. you know, literally, you know, in the doctor's case, what? Well, twelve years of uh, preschool, uh, four years of college, sixteen. They probably have twenty, twenty-four years to pick up all this stuff. Easy, twenty, twenty-four years. And, but if you try to learn it all in one weekend, it'd be impossible. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the, that's the overwhelming lesson I learned in all, all areas of my life. You know, um, the phrase that we use in coaching, I got from Coach Mont, little and often over the long haul. And it's true about everything. For example, when people ask me why the girls are, my daughters are decent people, one of the things I was telling them was because we had dinner every night as a family. And they go, well, we have dinner sometimes. Well, how often do you eat dinner as a family? Oh, um, yeah, see, thank you. You know, you add up, the, the thousands of dinners we've had together. In fact, in fact it, it ties me right into my other career, too. You know, uh, um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, uh, Jesus is, is, has returned, and um, it, the word is sin athlesios. It means he, he ate salt with them. And the word salt is, is very important in the Middle East at the time because of, you know, kosher salt. It was a very important ingredient in food, you know, because of dehydration. And uh, there's a famous thing that uh, these, these guys were such good friends, they ate a bushel of salt together. Well, that means they had 
Mm-hmm. So how much salt do you have at every meal just to sprinkle? Mm-hmm. They had a bushel of salt together. And friendship is based on, I mean, how much is a bushel? And oh, how yeah. many meals would you have to have? I think about <clears throat> years ago, my brother Phil got hurt in an accident. And it pained me because I knew what he was going through. And even though I live in Utah, he lives in California, someone says, what do you mean you know he's going through? I go, well, you know, my brother Phil, he will. And I realized I hadn't seen Phil in years, but I knew how he would deal with this injury he got. Not well. Because, man, we'd eaten a lot of Cheerios together. We eat a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches together. We had a lot of mashed potatoes together, you know? Mm-hmm. We had eaten a lot of meals together. So, for me, when you look at everything I'm trying to say, that success in all areas of life, to me, is always just, you show up. You do a little bit every day. You, you keep, you keep, you keep circling that, winding that big, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Then one day, you kind of sit back, and like, when people ask me about how many books I write, and how many articles I write, it's like, well, yeah, but, yeah, I wrote, but I wrote that article in 1998, and this one was in 2008, and this one's in 2018. That's not a lot of articles. Well, when you add them all up, right. you know, there's thousands of pages of articles, thousands. Those aren't even including the books. Thousands. But, oh, yeah, but I wrote that one on a Tuesday, and, you know, after this happened. Oh, there's this funny story. The reason I wrote that then is because this funny thing happened, and that, if, yeah. If, yeah, this yeah. funny thing like happened. Follow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you add up, I've been writing, I've been published since 79. When you add up, yeah, that's, I won a poetry contest, so... So when you add up those poems, so that's a 40 year of public, 40 years of publishing. Not all big. Uh, my biggest years probably would have been, oh, probably between 2007 and 2012. That would have been when I was writing the most. Um, you know, when I was knocking out almost an article a day for probably in 2010, 11, 12. You know, um, a certain article a week. Sometimes a day. And when you add all that up, it's massive, but really, you're looking at an hour or so a day at work. It's it's a really good point to make because, I mean, part of what we talked about initially when you asked me, what's what's the goal of this podcast? Like, what's the point you're trying to get across is somebody like you who is so successful and is at the point in your careers that you're in, it's easy to look at and be like how did you get there? I mean, you're yeah. so, so far ahead of so many people and this is how. Yeah, well, I mean... One step at a time. I can pull, I can take in that room down the hall there and I can show you all my journals too. You know, from 1971, my weight workouts in 1971, my workouts in 2004. Uh, well, people ask how to get strong and I can say, well, I wasn't. I mean, look at this workout in 1971. Well, it's not very strong. Right. Well, two years later... I'm stronger than anybody you'll ever meet in your life. Three years later, mm-hmm. four years later, twenty years later, thirty years later, and I, I just think that that's I don't and, and not anything I'd ever tell anybody is a secret. You know, we always joke in discus throwing the secret is buy low, sell high. Well, like what? Yeah, buy low, sell high. Well, well, everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows the secret to throwing the discus for. You gotta throw the discus a lot mm-hmm. over a long, you know, a little bit every day for a long time. 
Uh, Want to be a good writer? You got to write every day. Uh, you know, I always joke, jump is jump, throw is throw, spring is spring. Writers write. Is that ten thousand hour rule? It's well, it's or it's the hundred thousand hour rule. You know, I cannot believe that what people find. I think my worst work is what people like the best. People tell me about an article that I think is just horrible. Oh my God, you like that? But, but that's okay. Because what I think is great doesn't, doesn't necessarily sell. I think my best work are the books. Intervention, Can You Go and Now What? And I just told you my three worst-selling books. But I think that's my best work. Oh, that's so strange. I think that's my best work. But it doesn't matter because what sells is these other things. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. So, but to get, to get to where you're talking about three books, four books, 12 books, it's, you got to just do a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, someone uh, pinged me today, you got, a new, you got a new book coming out. I'm like, oh, yeah. I just been working a year on a book that I decided not to write. So, I mean, I have, I have two of those now. I have two books that I decided not to write. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll cobble them into articles and, you know, obviously I'll use the information in other places. And, and, and I think about, do I have any new stuff coming out? I'm like, well, I guess, because, you know, I'm going to write tomorrow. So that'll be new. Mm -hmm. But it's funny to hear what a, what a, what a reader, what a, well, what the readers wants is a, something new. Yeah. What I'm going to tell in this next book is a little and often over the long haul. I'm going to tell you to eat dinner as a family every night, uh, have some vegetables and protein every meal, drink water. I mean, that's all I know. That's literally all I know. Well, so it works. But it works. Mm -hmm. So that's my, you know, my my secrets buy low, sell high. Y'all know it. I remember, I remember reading, what was it? Um, Fat Loss Happens on Mondays. Yeah. And the workouts, the workouts, like the way you eat, all of it is so, it's so easy. It's so straightforward. The workouts were super Josh's. short. Those are Josh's, but they were fantastic. Yeah. You did, did you do a forward in that or did you? No, uh, we co I don't know how I mean, let's just I say. thought you were involved with that. Oh yeah, I am. Yeah. I, okay, I'll tell you the whole story. Uh, Josh, I apologize before. My friend Josh Hillis was going through a real rough time, and uh, he had put together this great little thing, but it was all over the place. Uh, he had a he had a really good kettlebell workout here. He had a good strength workout over here. He had this great information over here, and I said, "Man, you got to put it all together in one book." And he goes, and he was going through a rough time, and I said. Uh, and he goes, I can't do it. I go, you can do this. And I said, tell you what we'll do is I'll, I'll, write, I'll write, I'll be your co-author on it. And so uh, it's funny because I was done with my section of the book probably within three weeks. I mean, I'd written, I probably have uh, probably six, seven chapters in the book, maybe, something like that. I, I, I don't know. The, the, I only have the Korean editions in my home, so I, do, I can't really go up and read them. So. But, uh, and, and he wanted to, and I, and I he, he got the best. He got the best publishing deal in the history of writing. I mean, I all I want to do is help him out on that book, and that's why I'm so proud of that book. Is because it, I, I was doing a solid for a buddy, and the book turned out to be a, so much better than we even hoped. Um, now, how it sells or doesn't sell always throws me off. Uh, uh, you know, because it's a great book, but you know, you know, neither of us looks like a. It seems to help sell fat loss books if you are, are female and you have, uh, yeah, 
know, certain attributes. The, the information isn't nearly as good as the, the smokiness of the, uh, the hotness of the author. So, we're two ugly guys, so it didn't really... But it's a good book. I mean, it's a fantastic book. Yeah. But I just remember being blown away by how, how short the workouts were, how easy... I mean, pull-ups are not easy for me to do, but yeah. how, like, easy it all right. was for me to comprehend. And, you know, I remember talking to somebody about it, and you're, they were like, you you did 15 minutes in the gym, and that's it? Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm done. And then, you know, you keep doing that every day for a while, and you see results. And on the, and on the nutrition side, you, you none of his stuff on nutrition is insane. Mostly it's just mm-hmm. get yourself in, a, in appropriate shopping behaviors, you know, uh, uh you know, drink water. It's all that simple stuff that you exactly. you do it. You do it over a two-year period. You know, I always joke with fitness trainers. You'd be the greatest if you get your people to eat protein and veggies at every meal and drink water only for two years. How good? How good would your clients be? Phenomenal, right? You'd be the world, the greatest one in the world, just if you did those three basic things, right? You and then, then well, getting people to do that, right? And who's going to argue with that? It's all, we all know what I just said is true. Mm-hmm. So getting people over the hump, man. And again, I mean, I don't want to get too much habits became kind of the go-to word about three years ago, but it is true. Your, your habits are who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I mean, I am, you know, I'm 61 and all I am is, is I am just, you know, my, I, I did that little article called Do It or Diet, you know. I always tell people, you know, it's not what you eat, it's what you ate. Mm. You know, you, when people tell me that there suddenly becomes some, you know, ascetic saint and, uh, you know, I'm just going to fast 12 hours a day and all I'm going to do is eat vegetables and just a little bit of salmon. Yeah, that's not your issue. It's the 30, 40, 50 years eating crap is the problem. It's not what you're going to eat, it's what you ate. And you, we, you are your habits. You are, you, everything you are is the habits you have. Um, and whatever your go-to decision matrix is, is what's going to happen. If when you're sad, you chow down on donuts, that's that's how you would you deal with donuts. It happens so quickly. Uh, the route you drive to work is a habit, mm-hmm. and you probably don't even think until you're you're pulling up that you you don't even think. And where you stop to buy food, how you shop, how you. It's habits, 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 habits. That's why I like checklists and lists, just so my brain isn't even the, the white laundry thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want my, I don't want to use any of my brain pan to worry about whether I should do laundry today or not. Because every time I make a choice on white laundry or not, that eats into my free will. Now, I've had students disagree with me about free will, but I'm a big believer in it. It's interesting, it's always the ones who don't have kids. Because once you have kids, we always, oh, we always joke here about it. it's like being pecked to death by ducks. <laughs> Back when Kelly's phone rings from Tiffany, when Kelly phones Tiffany, mm-hmm. it goes. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Yeah. So when when you have kids, especially when they're about old enough to have an opinion, you know, in middle school especially, you, you it's really hard to have any more decisions after you've dealt with. And your daughters come home and are pissed off about something that happened in sixth grade. Sixth grade is the worst for girls. Oh my God, sixth grade. Oh, it's the worst. And they come home, they yell at you about all kinds of things, and they don't want to eat chicken 
enchiladas because they hate chicken. They don't like enchiladas. <laughs> There's no cheese and, you know, something happened in the schoolyard and all my friends, I hate them all. And I want Arby's and McDonald's. By the time you're done with dealing with that, oh, I'm going to go lift weights now? No, you're not. You're going to drink scotch. <laughs> you know? Kids, man, they just take it out of you. You know, we're dealing with a baby. I always love what we're because of the theology background, when people always say, oh, you know, babies are so wonderful. They're the most self-centered creatures on the planet. <laughs> God, it's all me, 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 me. And I know someone's going to hate from me. You know, they're going to get some negative feedback. But they live in the pure present. They cry. They smile. They poop. They smile. They cry. That's what they do. And it's, um, when you're dealing with a colicky baby or one who hasn't slept in a while, it's real hard. Hey, let's go work out. I haven't slept in two weeks, but I'm going to go eat appropriately. You're just going to shove whatever you can in your mouth. Oh, yeah. But if your habits are there, if the systems are in place, you can handle all that. Yeah, you have that to fall back on. I think. I was just in California uh, visiting family for Rosh Hashanah, and um, one one of my first cousins has a year and a half old son and he's amazing and adorable and all of that and that little man has so so much energy that you know I asked I was like you guys you guys just must be exhausted I mean as wonderful as this is you must be just like ready to take a nap at any given time and um yeah that that was the case I think there was one day at temple one of my cousins ended up uh staying home because he was just so wiped out so yeah yeah, I think uh, having Charlie right now, who, those listening, um, he's a uh, he's now a five-month-old lab, is nice training wheels for something like that. Because yeah. that's, I mean, that's a whole other level. Well, yeah, and, you know, that's why I think having a pet is such an important part of the, the of, having, of raising children. And because, you know, they poop, and it's got to get cleaned up. Yep. And if you choose not to clean up the poop, when you're running in the backyard with your shoes off, you're going to step in poop. And then now you're mad at me, and that was your job, or that's your dog, that's your cat. That, and it's helpful. They have to be fed. They have to be watered. And it's good. It's a good experience, you know. And if something, if you screw up too bad with a dog, you'll, they'll, they'll, you know, the dog will remind you, I'm hungry or whatever. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely been a good learning experience with him, just because we're training him to be a service dog, so it's. You know, you do something wrong and you see it in his behavior very quickly. It's like, oh, the reason you're doing that is because I did X, Y, Z. This is, uh, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. But, um, but going back to you, I actually, uh, this is a slightly different course. The question about you and Tiffany, your marriage, because you guys have been married for a long time. You both um, are successful um, and you both travel a ton. Yeah. How have you made it work? Well, the traveling's tough. I mean, that's, you know, uh, the, 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 we do we have this joke, it's called, it's called wine coffee tots. One of us has wine, one of us has coffee. <laughs> because I'm so many time zones ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Europe, I'm in Europe all the time. Um, how did we make it work? Well, I tell you, when she first started traveling, originally it was her traveling all the time. And I became uh, Mr. Mom, you know. What really made it helpful was both of us 
agreeing that we need a menu. We need we need uh, we need structures. We need structures, and uh, we we t we talk to each other on the phone when we when we travel. We talk to each other on the phone as often as we can. You know, um, we both know how tough hotel life is, and so you know you, you always have a bad night's sleep. The first night's always bad in the hotel. If you end up with the worst the club volleyball or club basketball kids on your floor. The kid basketball kids are the worst. I thought volleyball were the worst, but it's this club basketball. They're the worst. They have no discipline. They scream all night. They run around the halls. Nice. Yeah. Really easy to sleep that way. Actually one night it was nice. Um, I complained to the general manager and the manager said, no problem. Um, they would they would be paying for your room during your stay here. So uh, it was a, a hotel company. I don't know if they still do it. That that but that's their policy with club sports. Wow. If 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 the if the noise of the team bothers you, they pay. It was great because it was about a six or seven hundred dollar week. Yeah, it was nice though, and it did. It was gone. It was right off. Uh, we uh, how do you deal with it? It's tough. Um, the, the we we have wisdom. We have some wisdom things we can tell you. First off. When you travel, join every club you possibly can join. You know, be be a member of every Sky Mile program, loyalty program you get into, because you're constantly trying to. You're just trying to upgrade. You're just trying to get. You, you want to be on the floor that has the free breakfast. You want to be. You want to have the room that has the extra chair. By God, how the importance of a chair will throw you off at times you travel. Having two chairs in a room. <laughs> sometimes it's pretty low. Um, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. You just um, you, you, you got to keep open. You got to be smart. Um, uh, you, we both carry on. All, we, we we are we became master travelers. Um, and I also think there is some value in having those timeouts. So we tend to have great full, very full weekends when we're together. Uh, when we travel together, we we, we have very full experiences. You know, those pictures over there were all from our trips. And that little thing there doesn't look like much, but that's that's where we go. That's where we've been. You know, so you got to do little things like that to remind yourself about how fun it is to travel and you know the experience. And, you know, um, we also have friends uh, all over the place that we go out. Yeah, it can get old. It gets old, but it's what you do. You know, I, I, again, it's got to be systems. You got to. I have, I have a master pack, I and mean, when I take my bag, I have little things. I have, little, I have bags inside my bags. Uh, I have backups for everything. It, I can travel for 17 days out of one bag uh, easily uh, because I have little systems and stuff. I have, no matter what you need on the road, I have it. You know, because you only want to forget it once. Right. Of course, never forget it again. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's also partially just finding finding somebody that's worth it too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I gotta tell you, it's a crapshoot. You know, success, success in marriage, success in life. It's sometimes you just you just you're just lucky. You know, the, I always say I went left instead of right. That's that's why. You know, I you, sometimes you're just lucky. You know, um, we we both come from big families, so both of us are used to. Um, you know, used to the inner, the interactions of life. You know, the 
the rubbing against each other, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that helped. Uh, and, 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 you know, we don't, we don't get angry with each other very often, which helps, too. I don't, we don't fight very much, which is good. That's really good. Yeah, I don't think we fight at all. Makes the time that when you are together, not traveling yeah. that much more enjoyable. Well, it's, I gotta tell you though, it, I, I think the timeouts help. You know, like the, the, the time away, you know, you, you start to appreciate things. Like, I really look forward to coming home when I'm on road trips. I mean, I look forward to it, you know, and uh, I look forward to my working out in my gym, seeing my dog, you know, seeing you guys. And, you know, I look forward to it, you know, it's nice. And there are times I look forward to hitting the road, like we'll be going to Ireland again in a couple of weeks. And, God, I'm just so looking forward to walking Gal, you know, walking down the streets of Galway and you know swimming the swimming the bay and makes it all that much yeah, more special. Yeah, yeah, that makes. But sense. about halfway the time there, I'll be thinking about coming back to right. Coming back for Thanksgiving because you know we got the, the fifth K coming up and everything. Yeah, I'm really excited about that actually. Yeah. Um. Let's see. So, I was wondering about this. Did you? Did you ever imagine that your life would turn out this way? Like, was this ever, like, a dream of yes. yours? Absolutely, yeah. Well, there's a funny scene in uh, Field of Dreams when uh, uh, Kevin Costner goes, what do you want? And he goes, well, I want people like you to stop showing my house. I want you to stop this. I'm tired of people. He goes, no, no, what do you want? Oh, bearded dog. Well, one time when we were first dating, Tiff said something like, well, what do you want? And she said, I went off with this about this three-paragraph rant. <laughs> That basically describes everything I have today. Really? Yeah, well, I went to the Middle East. I, I got very ill. I picked up a liver parasite, and I was really struggling. I lived in a, a fold-out bed. for. That's what I slept in. It was in a fold-out you know, couch mm-hmm. bed, you know, those terrible things. Yeah. Um, I had a, just a broken-down car. Lived in a basement. It was freezing cold. Um, I had no money. I was very sick. And I went to the library, and I picked up this audio tape called uh, Lead the Field, it's a free now on YouTube, by Earl Nightingale, and I started listening to it. I'd go for walks, I had my little tape cassette player, I'd listen to, I'd listen to tapes, motivational tapes, and I started, and I, I would I'd lead the field, and one of the things I started to pick up on was, uh, and it was very true, is, you know, you, you are, I mean, you basically make, whatever you have today, like you Congratulations, that, that's where you are. Things happen, bad things happen, good things happen. But really, you know, you, and so I started thinking about, well, what do I want? And I, as a kid, I wanted to write. Okay, that's something. I was a, good, I was a solid writer, okay. Uh, I wanted to get back to being an athlete again, okay. It's 86, I was very sick. So in 87, I, I started my throwing again, okay. And I just started to plan out, you know, I didn't want to live in a, didn't want to live in a fold-out bed anymore. And I fixed that pretty quickly. And I didn't want to have that, and I fixed that. And, and all of a sudden, I realized that really all you got to do is just start. Uh, like, I decided to read the great books. Uh, I, 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 I bought them. I went on the 15-minute-a-day thing, the 15-minute-a-day uh, great books reading program, which quickly became longer than that. Uh, when I moved, many of my students got those books. They, they, they still tell me they have them because my notes are in the books. You know, it's kind of cool. And uh, I started, you know, what I began to notice is you become a very in two years, if you read 15 minutes a day, you'll read a lot. You become very well-read very quickly. And I started noticing that in all areas of my life. Uh, I, in fact, it was funny. I was just looking at it. I still have the paper. And I was worried because 
I owed six hundred dollars in my credit card debt, and I was like, "How am I going to come up with six hundred dollars?" So I did what Earl said. You, know, you just take a piece of paper and you write out six hundred bucks. I was worried about six hundred dollars. Oh my God, I get, that's dinner. I mean, I, you know, that, that, it's just funny to think back on it. You know, um, but that's, that's I didn't have anything, and I, I owed it. I came up with this thing, this quick plan. I paid it off within. I think I came up with maybe three or four weeks I had it paid off. Just because I didn't want any debt. Mm -hmm. My goal is always to be debt-free. Debt-free is a big thing for me. Um, and it's just funny because I, I read Lead the, Lead the Field. I took all these notes. Uh, Lacey, I think you know Lacey. Mm -hmm. Lacey's actually borrowed my notes to look at my notes on on my listening. Uh, it's There's about five different colors of pen in there because I just get in and make more notes every time I listen to it. Um, very quickly, I, I began to realize that, you know, it was every day. It's what you do every day. And once you start stacking 20 good days together, and all of a sudden you, you move ahead. Boy, you know, you can't improve. It'd be impossible to improve 1% a day, but you can almost do it in about a month, is improve massively in about a two-week period. Uh, a two-day period, you can make huge improvements. Uh, I always tell people, there's two. If you don't mind, there's two things that hold most people back, and both are clutter. But the first clutter is debt. I think mm. a debt of all kinds, but we'll just focus on money. But being debt-free, that just constantly pings at you. You know, if you have massive debts, it's constantly a, a, a little lodestone around, a millstone around your neck. And the second thing is clutter. Now I'm sitting down here, and this room is cluttered right now. That's not terrible. You can tell the grandkids are playing. Um, but uh, when I talk to most people, the, the biggest issue most people have is clutter. And uh, uh, if you're going to work with a fat loss client, I always say, first thing, before you start talking about anything, walk out to the parking lot and look in their back seat with them. Have them clean up their back seat, because I guarantee you the back the back seat in most people's cars is a disaster. Mm -hmm. Then the next workout will be cleaning the glove box and then clean that little well that's next mm -hmm. to you on the left. And in that well, put in a floss sticks. So, you know, floss your teeth when you drive around for in the future. And then clutter out, the declutter the, the trunk, and then declutter the bathroom. Um, and when you're decluttering, you always have a trash bag, uh, a box for... Never leave, once you're decluttering, always stay there. So if something belongs somewhere else, don't leave the bathroom. Put it in a box to carry to where it's supposed to be later. And the third box should be like donations or something like that. Trash, other place box, donation box. And declutter your bathroom. Declutter your office. Declutter your bedroom. Declutter your clothes. I did that. The other day, Tiff said to me, do you always drive around with a bag of clothes? And it's funny because I gassed up and I said, well, honey, what I like to do is I like to change my clothes constantly when I'm at something so people think, oh, I thought she was in a wretched. And as I pulled up to the uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters bin and mm -hmm. I threw some, I threw the clothes that were in the back seat there. Because yes, I always travel with, I'm, I keep my, you know, once I go the donation bag, I throw in the car and when I gas up, I always gas up and then drop off the clothes at the donation thing. Because I always have extra clothes because people are constantly giving me t-shirts. Constantly. <laughs> I don't know what it is, why people think I need t-shirts. T-shirts and stuff. <laughs> and I, I'll sit there sometimes, I, I, this is inappropriate. I've got, I've got to donate some of these, so yeah. Uh, so for me, 
when I look at most people's lives and turning points, yes, you do have to do a little and often on the long haul. That's, that's the progress. But with the weights on that are debts of all kinds and clutter. And if you're really having a lousy day, I always tell people, well, pick a room and clean it. Because as you're cleaning the room, I guarantee stuff is going to come out of, your, out, of, out of your head. Oh, yeah. You know, I want to declutter my books again. Because uh, I just, you know, I, I get probably one or two books a week. And so I've got this little store over here called Marissa's. It's a, and I, I give them books. Uh, Marissa's over here uh, is a bookstore, and they sell my books, by the way, which is kind of cool. But I, the other day I donated a full set of Mary Poppins books, and I'd finished reading them, so I donated them to the, it's a book, you know, a mm -hmm. used bookstore, you go here. Oh, thank you, yeah, you know, I'll bring books by there all the time, you know, you know. Um, That's I, cool. Yeah, so I donate books to a used bookstore who's, you know, uh, you know, they're local, you mm -hmm. know, good people, and then donate clothes here. So I have these mental things I do. Mm -hmm. the, so when I do feel like I'm getting too many books, okay, I know exactly the route I'm going to take. That's 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 I'm pretty good at decluttering decluttering things, but when it comes to books, I have so much trouble giving well, my any problem, of them away. My problem is I'm gonna give away I'm gonna give away all these books, and mm -hmm. about five months from now I'm gonna buy them all back. <laughs> so I uh, there's some books I probably about thirteen times I think are probably a lot of now. Do you have a favorite book? Well, the Sword and the Stone. Yeah. Um, the Sword and the Stone. Yeah. Well, and a lot of the books I use for my my work. I don't even know why I have copies of them. You know, I almost know them by heart, but then I have to have, to have it. I have to no, I, I totally understand that. To touch it, you know, yeah. to smell it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember the point when people really started listening to you, when people started asking you to come and lecture or start giving speeches at graduation, like things like that? Well, since, you know, since I was a teacher, it was... It was just normal. In the 90s, I used to drive all over the place giving workshops on the discus, and they'd give me a $5 Starbucks card and for, you know, cost me $300 in gas. But that's good, you know. But when it exploded, would have been in 2003, when it just got weird. My daughters would be at a thing, and my daughter, Lindsay, was in Dublin, Ireland, and uh, she talked to a guy about, let's be Facebook friends. And he goes, Hey, we have to. How do you know Dan John? He goes, he's my dad. And he went fanboy on him. He went all fanboy. Uh, walking up a flight of stairs in Edinburgh, Scotland, and someone yells out, Dan John? That throws you off a little bit. So that's when, that's when it went, that's when it went viral, I think. Yeah. But I've been doing, I've been doing speeches and talks, you know, on, on you know, religion, uh, scripture, you know, my whole life. Um, but it was 2003 when it just got, it went crazy. So, like, was there a moment that things switched? Oh, yeah, yeah. So what was the moment? So Charles Stanley had a book, a boot camp. He called it Boot Camp for All. And it was just a series of six speakers who all became very famous. And one of them dropped out, and uh, he said, I can't. And one of my guys, Mike Bukowski, told Charles, he goes, well, Dan John could speak for an hour. And he, Dan, who had never even heard of him, so I went down and... Uh, um, Chris Shooter at Teen Nation reviewed it and he said 
no matter any time, any place Dan and John is speaking, you've got to go. He's the best I've ever heard. And I went, Man. just went crazy. In fact, I think you still find the article. He interviewed me. It's called, uh, I think it's like Confessions of an Old School Soldier or something like that. It's on Teen Nation. And it's an interview we did probably in three. So the girls are still young. And uh, I was working as an administrator. And I had to, it was, it was a pure interview. And it was just funny because when you read the stuff, you know, at the time, everyone thought I was kind of a lunatic because I believed in loaded carries and sled work, and um, I, I didn't believe in bodybuilding, uh, arm day, leg day. I believed in total training, total body training. Um, I, and it was weird because people thought that was odd. Well, in 2018, right? in 2018, this is all normal again. Right. But it was just funny because I was considered, old, they used to call me old school. Oh, he's old school now. And like, this is not old school. This is what works. And that was hard for people to hear. It's like, wait a second. So by doing, uh, you know, concentration curls, yeah, that's not going to make you great. But it has to. The bodybuilder said, well, it's bodybuilding. So that's sports performance. Oh, but, right, that's fat loss. That's not performance. But, but right, that's what you do to get ready for a physique contest. That's not what you do to throw a caber end over end. Right. And they, it was weird because it's almost like we're speaking different languages, you know. Which and, it'll, and I think my, my background in theology and history really helped keep me unique too because you know the, 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 my ability to understand background deep background mm -hmm. you know uh, so for me it's always very easy for me to hold opposing concepts in my head at the same time it's very easy you have to to, to do most of the stuff I do you, it's just, just what it is but you know what Paige I gotta tell you think about everybody you know um, it, it, you know, I, I don't want to get too much, but I just watched the news this morning. But you know, you, you everybody has mistakes in their life, and if you all you do is you elevate the mistakes, people. Now, look, there are truly awful people. Um, I would probably throw Hitler in there, okay. Mm -hmm. But even so, his mom probably thought he was wonderful. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I hate Nazis. Okay, I just want to say that real quickly, just just for clarity. Uh, you know, when you look at when you look at someone's life, you know, someone says, "Well, how do you like that person? They did this." Um, um, I take these. I, there's two things online I do. One is called master class, like I take master classes, and the other one oh, is I've seen those. they're great. And the other one is called uh, it's not called great courses. No, it is called it's called the great courses, and uh, those are those are videotape lectures with with books with a like a PDF that goes with it. And the master classes I took Steve Martin's stand up comedy it was great. And then I took Kevin Spacey. Well, of course this Kevin Spacey incident from his past shows up and everyone's like, oh he's a terrible person. I'm like, but the class was very good. I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but he's a terrible person. Well, this might be true. And uh, and uh, by the way there was no criminal complaint. It was just a thing, you know, okay. I don't even know if it was civil. And I, okay, it was horrible. He's an awful person. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But I'm, I'm very comfortable with holding opposing concepts in my head. Because I think we all have our weaknesses. And, you know, oh, definitely. And horrible moments. I'd love it for all these people who love to point fingers at this person and that person. Um, you know, if we had a 24-7 videotape with them in the sixth grade. Oh, <laughs> you know? Well, that's the thing. I mean, nothing's ever black or white. It's, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, they're always chasing Right, them. right. 
So for me, it really helped me in my coaching career to, to have that, the, my writing career, to be able to do that. You know, uh, is it good or bad? I, you know, I did Nautilus for two years because I believed the hype. And, you know, I didn't, after six weeks, it was almost worthless. But there were some things I learned from doing Nautilus that were very important. I did CrossFit for about two years. And the injuries in CrossFit were shocking. In fact, this one young lady I work with has another injury. Oh my God, I mean, she's 27 and she's hurt all the time. Well, I learned things from doing that. I learned things from the Olympic lifts, the power lifts, uh, kettlebells. You, you learn stuff. And then what it allows you to do is, if you have the ability to discern, is you look at that and you say, okay, okay, the kettlebell is not a magical tool, but boy, the kettlebell right here is so much more efficient, so much faster teaching. It's so much better than what we were doing with the barbell. Mm-hmm. We got to keep it in. Oh, okay. I didn't say the kettlebell was the answer to all questions. But in this instance, it's clearly better than that. Uh, the TRX or suspension rings. I mean, I have the ability to go, 90% of the stuff I see people do with TRX is, is just stupid waste of time. But there's a couple things that maybe go, hey, that's pretty good. And so your job as the big kid mm-hmm. is to have both, you know, be able to weigh those two things in your head. And, and again, it's, and, you know, it, when you talked to her about me and Tiff, okay, is being on the road a bad thing? Well, no, it's great. I mean, I fly first class, sky clubs. I, I mean, I have the priority passes. I have, I mean, if I ever want to get a buzz, I just go fly somewhere. Jeez, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to pay for it. Only a thousand, you know, $1,500 hour flight and I get free booze. You know? That's a joke. But uh, yeah, it's good and it's bad. There's, there's both sides to it. And you just got to throw your arms around it, you know. Um, I think that's one of the things that helped me in my career. But just talking about how... Um, my career kind of blew up in 2003. I think I was a unique, different voice. Now, it's interesting because now I, I get this thing called TLDR, too long, didn't read. And now this generation of people in the field don't like stories, don't like to hear the whole thing. They just want to, they tell me, just tell, I wish you'd just tell me what to do. Well, I'll tell you what to do, is what I'd like <laughs> to tell you to do. Uh, but, you know, if, if you don't have the ability to look at the big picture, and if you just want me to say five sets of three, okay, it's five sets of three. Well, you know, that doesn't, that's not going to be the answer in three weeks, though. Something's going to come along. Something, oh, something better, something worse, an injury, a flu, um, a broken piece of equipment. Something always comes up, and you have to change. And I think that's, that's why I think... So when I, I go to Reddit, uh, I don't know why I do this. It's because of Thomas upstairs. <laughs> I go to Reddit and I'll look at these things sometimes. And I go like, just because you can type doesn't mean you're an expert. You know, I'll look at some of the things and they're just, I just feel bad because they're probably 14-year-old boys from Nebraska. That's the joke in the field. You know, some zit-faced 14-year-old boy, you know, was typing up, I think Jen Lords is fat. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you just write that. Oh, Speaking of serious black, hi buddy. Um, did you open that door by yourself? Uh, and you know you'll you'll just see these things, but I, and I know I'm uh, I'm not the toast of the town anymore online. I mean, there's always there's newer, sexier, faster people coming up all the time. But I've always decided that my niche is, you know, what Tom Plummer told me. Um, I'm the crazy uncle in the industry. Um, you trust me because I tend to say tell you the truth, and I am kind of funny and. You know, and hey, uh, serious, 
Serious. Uh, folks are listening. My dog just came in and he is sniffing everything about Paige because Paige has puppies. It's very, very exciting. He's such a sweet boy. <laughs> so I guess one of my final questions is, I know you've done some some work with, with some of the military. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. In fact, uh, I didn't know I was being vetted, but it turns out it was all the way back into the late 90s. Um, and uh, people were coming around, and you know, I've always offered those free workouts, you know. Mm-hmm. And what was funny is the one guy, had, the one guy told me ultimately they'd been reading my work and listening to me for about five years before I even knew it. It was before I was actually, you know, kind of internet famous. It was like you know my early blog and stuff. But yeah, I've worked I think with all the forces. I think uh, all the branches of the military now. Uh, I do work with uh, you know the top end people and. Uh, They've they've stayed my home and um, it's nice. I have a whole collection of coins, you know, from the military coins, and uh, they always it's fascinating. I'll open the mail up and I'll get some just interesting things. Uh, this last week I got uh, two books on um, on special forces uh, and uh, uh, a couple coins, and then it was kind of different, but uh, uh, weapons from different parts of the world. Uh, um, a handmade machete from the Philippines, uh, some kind of club from Africa, I'm afraid to ask more questions, and this massive knife. And it was just a thank you for the work. It was just That's that's how most of the guys thank me. I don't I don't take money for it, you know. Now, that's what I, like expenses usually, maybe. But even sometimes, even then. Um, and um, I, I like working. My family's basically a military family. So um, my niece is a... a, a Lieutenant Colonel. Um, most of my family is my, my my nephew is a JAG, a Navy JAG. Uh, my brothers were all Army and Marines. Uh, you know, yeah. So it's real. Na- I'm. It's real normal for me to be around people with issues of you know or war related issues, not just the physical injuries, but the mental side too. So I'm used to it. I mean, it sounds odd to say that. No, <laughs> that, that, no, it makes sense though. It does. So I. I had three brothers coming to Nam and uh, two, two have issues. And so I grew up in a, my home. My normal daily routine was being around people with post-traumatic stress. But we didn't call it that. That was just normal for me. My my normal is different than um, the Brady Bunch's normal. But, you know, they had their own issues. We had ours. So, right. yeah, so I like it a lot. One of the things, and then uh, I, would say, I would say about 10% of my emails come from uh, military guys. And, and it's weird because once they start to trust me, uh, the, the, the number one thing I get back is, uh, I can't believe how short my workouts are, how much better I feel. And the, the follow-up question is, since I feel so good, can I do more? And my response is always, okay. And I say as kindly as I can, you're, you're an idiot. Because <laughs> you finally feel good, so you want to go back to what you're doing, you hurt yourself again. And then I'll get that little email, you know. <laughs> I read that, I look at it, it's like, you know. How do I, you know, just because it's so, because we all we all have those phrases we say like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it works so well I stopped doing it. That is a classic in our field. Yeah, so I'm I'm very happy with the work I do. Uh, I there are things like you know, there's been a few times in our in our marriage where I haven't been able to tell Tiff where I'm going. Uh, once I'm there, it's okay. Uh, I certainly never talk about it on social media at all. 
Um, though most people figure it out. You know, all you do is spend a few minutes in our gym around the house, and you start to get a sense of, you know, um, things. Um, I don't think I should talk about specifics. Um, and it's always for this. It's always for the safety of the of the of the wives and families and girlfriends. Not that not that I think that the, the enemy is smart enough to. <laughs> who knows? I, it's always it's always it's, you just don't want you don't want to put my lo if I'm with people you don't want to make that location known. Of you, course, you never know what would happen. But and, but that's also it, it just makes everyone happy too. Um, was it different working with with them than it was working with some other people just because of like their levels of training and well one of the things that's been good is that they they um, is that they're smart and so yeah. when I speak and it is interesting it is it is an age thing I mean the the guys who are you know 18 19 20 don't they don't want to listen to me you know because they want to do a bodybuilding program CrossFit and triathlon program all at the same time because they're 18 19 20. Right. But the guys who've been around, they're they're very receptive. In fact, it's interesting. Many of the it, many of the groups, it's it's a I. They, they call them Dan Johnisms. It makes me laugh. You know, oh, it's a Dan John workout. It's because you know, <laughs> which makes me laugh a little bit. Um, yeah, I. The one of the things I've gotten in return, and it, it's it's clear in my work, is I often have to work with whatever we have available, so it allows me to. Switch gears, change gears. Um, had to do a thing in Hawaii one time with no equipment at all. Um, seven seven days of training with no work with no equipment, which is great because now it, you know it made me think, and that of course made my my movement matrix, which I call it. Uh, it's twenty six. It's the twenty six movements I teach. There's nothing magic about the number or anything. It's just it's a little thing. And you know what? Why don't you email me and we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, the matrix. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and it's just and the the ones that are in bold are um, equipment free movements, planks. Um, like if I'm carrying you in a monster walk, mm -hmm. we don't need equipment. You know, if I'm holding you like this, uh, stadium steps, run up hills. You know, that's you don't need equipment for that. You know, you could argue, oh, you need a stadium and hills. Okay, you win. But the point is, you don't right. need kettlebell, yeah. a barbell. So yeah, I spend a lot of time uh, that they 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 allow me a lot of clarity. Um, when I was originally hired, I, I was hired as the health and fitness guy, but then quickly that morphed uh, to being well. I got to talk about longevity. Then that moved into well, but I'm a performance coach, so that allowed me to go health, fitness, longevity, performance. Those are four things. Anytime I see four, I see a quadrant, and that became the book. Now what? So shark habits are how I deal with almost everything. Your listeners, am I what color shirt am I wearing? Blue. Black. It's a black polo. Uh, why do I always wear this shirt? Because I have 16 of them. I have 16 of these shirts. That's really black? I could have sworn yeah. that was navy blue. Well, it could be navy blue, but <laughs> I think it's black. It's midnight blue. Uh, <laughs> and so shark habits, that's one bite and you're done. Um, anything that comes along for me is a shark habit. Well, you saw the way I answer emails, right? Mm -hmm. oh, text, yeah. Uh-huh. What did I say? Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. Straightforward to the yes. point. Yep. yep. That's a shark habit. I, I'm not going to just, I don't want to hear you say, well, I could do 11 or 2 or 5. Shut up. Just pick one. Mm -hmm. 11. 11 good. Boom. It's out of my head. It's not even, that's shark habits. And the other thing is called pirate maps. A pirate map is, I got this from Pat Flynn. 
instead of reading uh, instead of reading a five hundred page book, most people just want go to St. John's Island, find the white coconut tree, take seven paces to the left, dig down. There's the buried treasure. Mm-hmm. So my pirate map, well, it's on the computer, but mm-hmm. it's like uh, I start every day by having a great night's sleep. I have, um, you know, I there are certain things I do. I take my supplements and my, my all this stuff at a certain time. I wear those weird little glasses when I watch TV late at night, the blue blocking glasses. I, I strive for a great night's sleep. I wake up and I'm grateful. I meditate every day. Uh, my goal every day is eight to ten vegetables. It says eight on the list, but I only try to take different vegetables. So that's impressive. Yeah. So that's so whenever I go to a, when I go out to dinner or breakfast, I'm always trying to like I'll get a I'll get the a Denver omelet with a side of vegetables. Over here at the Landmark, they actually have a little thing that they make for me. They have 10 vegetables, and they fry it up, and they just make, that's my hash browns, these 10 different vegetables. So my pirate map is good night's sleep, wake up and be grateful, one-minute meditation, uh, the 10 vegetables, and then I work out uh, two days a week. I do hypertrophy work because of my age. Uh, I do a ruck, a long mm-hmm. way to walk one day a week. And then the other two days, I, I do what we'll call 30-30 workouts. 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off for 30 minutes. And I focus on Tuesdays, my butt, and on Friday, loaded carries. There you go. Now, if I do that every day, every week, every month, every year, I prob- I'm hoping to be around to dance at uh, Josephine's wedding, which is my goal right now is to dance Which is wedding. his granddaughter who's, is she four? Th- four. Four, just turned four. Yeah. So that's that's my goal. My just for reference, folks. My grandmother died in 1925. My mom died in 1980. So we die young. So one of my goals is to be around my grandkids. My father helped my daughter Kelly once, and then he died right after. So this isn't a good. We're not looking now. In contrast, in Tiff's family, her grandmother just died at 102. Wow. So Hemingway's never die. John's don't last long at all. So for me, my pirate map is to to be around, to to live longer. So I have to be real smart, and real careful about how, what I do. And that's so. So for me, uh, the the number one thing. Let's I'm just slide right back to the military real quick. Uh, they are masters of shark habits. They are masters of it. It's shocking how good they are, because they're all they're, it's all systems. Everything in the military is a system. And systems take care of things, on and off, yes, no, uh, black, white, boom, boom. And what I do for those guys is I try to get them to have a pirate maps of their, their fitness. And if I can get those guys to go, wait, good night's sleep? Huh. Because they, they love to they love to outdo each other. Well, I got one hour sleep last year. You know? No. I want eight or nine. If you want to be around a long time, longevity and be able to do this job, you need to sleep. Okay, the meditation thing. Yeah, you got you got One minute's all I'm asking. It's called uh, O M M. One moment meditation. It's a free app online. It's a free app. Uh, one minute. And the thing is, if you don't have a minute, then I want to talk about your, the, everything else. Yeah. And so what I, when and when we get to their training, I try to have them do a pirate map where they look at a week, and all of a sudden, very quickly, they realize that they really have no uh, no system for training. They show up and they see what their buddies are doing, and that's the workout of the day. They show up and they see something on the wall, 
but then they read something in Muscle and Fitness, or they saw something in Shape magazine with a with a tote bag, and they're you know they just they they have no rhyme or reason of training. So I can get everything in every week because I have the system. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You're full of really, really good stuff. Yeah. I've read two of your books now, and I've read, you know, articles and all of that, but um, Parker has the others, so I definitely need to I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's, uh, let's make sure we get, do you have now what? Hmm? Do you have now what? I'd have to text him. I think okay. so. I'm not sure. How many how many listeners do you think you have? It depends. Okay, let's let's give your listeners now what uh, as a as a gift. Okay, that's uh, there'll be more of that stuff in there. Okay. Thank you. For let's that. have it open for like maybe just a week and just hold it. Okay. That's yeah, right. That sounds great. So they'll have uh, the that's got shark habits. That's got the pirate maps. That's got my pirate maps are a lot more elegant. The book came out last year, so my pirate maps are a little better now. But it's got, there's a pirate map for finance in the book, I think. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Thank you so much for yeah. that. You guys don't, I mean, after listening to this, you obviously know what a treat that is. But, I mean, yeah. thank you. You bet.